0: Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome to another episode of Inside Ulster. We're back after an elongated Christmas break, and we're going to be reviewing Ulster's recent losses, uh, which are unfortunate for fans of the Ravenhill squad, Um, and we'll also look towards this weekend's Heineken Champions Cup trip against La Rochelle. Joining me, as always, is the Belfast Telegraph's rugby correspondent, Jonathan Bradley, and Belfast Telegraph's sports reporter, Adam McKendry. So, we're going to kick off first with last weekend's game against Benetton, it marks Ulster's fifth defeat in their last six games, um, Ten in with the monster game on New Year's Day. It was very similar in that it looked like they had the game essentially won until the dying stages when Benetton got a last gas penalty and the match finished 31-29. Jonathan, talk us through what you think went fundamentally wrong.
1: I think whenever you're having these conversations, and I don't know, like, Obviously, over Christmas and stuff, maybe people weren't as switched on, but it just seems like it's the same stuff over and over and over again. Like, we've been having these conversations for six weeks, you know, what went wrong? It's all the same stuff that went wrong against Monster, which was all the same stuff that went wrong in all the other games during this streak. And that's what makes it so bizarre to watch because, you know, you talk about problem solving, you talk about finding solutions. It's professional players and professional players that we know to be good rugby players doing the same thing over and over and over again and just making mistakes that they don't normally make, not having the accuracy that they normally have and the accuracy that you need to win games at this level, whether that be the breakdown, whether it be turnovers, whether it be lost lineouts, everything's just off. Like, virtually across the board, everything's that... 1%, 2% off that means that against good quality opposition like Benetton are like they're maybe not of the standard that of the other teams that Ulster played in this run but like they're a decent team they've got a good home record so if you're off against a team like that you are going to lose and then naturally you know there's a confidence issue at play as well here because do you like do we think that if this game had to come in at a time when Ulster were full of confidence and on song and winning games, like, do we think that John Cooney gives away that silly penalty? Probably not. But guys that I think are probably trying to do a little bit too much. You're getting in your own head and then we're seeing the results of it.
0: Adam, do you think, well, what are you thinking? Do you think the pressure is mounting on Dan McFarland or is he solely to blame? Because he is getting a lot of guff on social media
2: he's not fully to blame because you've got to give your fair share of blame to the players as well it's it's never fully down to a coach or the players there's blame on both sides what I will say is I do think that the longer this run goes on the further into the hole you get and the worse it, it gets in terms of confidence like This was probably the game that you thought if Ulster were going to get a win from this run this was the one they were going to get it in because if you look at the games around it Munster, alright, not quite the same as Munster teams of the past but in an Interpro you can always expect an Irish province to show up Uh, you've got la rochelle defending european champions you've got an informed sales side coming to belfast and you've got the defending urc champions the stormers coming up of these games that was the one that you thought ulster sort of had to win in order to restore some confidence because he, right now can you see them winning any of the next three games on this form no so well, I
1: think they'll beat what, the Stormers because the Stormers will send a reserve team by all accounts so if they don't beat the oh, Stormers at home
2: sorry if they don't beat a Stormers A-side at home then you're in real bother I actually, mean actually I mean, we we, we we said that about Munster as well you know Munster came up without all their Ireland internationals well, that's what I was going to say I, I, like, I we, actually think
1: Munster was the game that uh, you would have thought <laughs> that they had to win but just because uh, of exactly what you say there the Munster team that was coming up was decent but it was shorn of their internationals that, and you were at home and like I do think Benenden are better than people think that they are. They especially are. Especially at home. Like, they're one of those teams that, like, because their home form is so much better than their away form, they look very average because of where they are in the table. Mm. But they get nearly all of their points at, at home. home. So they're such a good team at home, it compensates for them being a bad but, team away. But But they are
2: still... And, you know, if, oh, yeah, if, if Ulster are the team that they want to be, and right now they are not the team that they want to be, <laughs> they're not but the if, team that anybody wants yeah. to be. Right now. <laughs> but if if they are the team they claim to be, that these are the games that they have to win. So to get back to the original question, is this Dan McFarland's fault? Ultimately, the buck does stop with the coach. You know, a coach is the one who is tasked with turning teams around whenever they are in a bad run of form. They're the ones who are tasked with keeping a team on the right momentum whenever they are on a run of form. You know, players players are the ones who ultimately determine everything on the pitch, of course, but you can't sack 30 players and replace them with 30 more. You can sack a coach pretty easily. I'm not advocating for Dan McFarland to be sacked, but it ultimately the buck does stop with him like he is the one who is supposed to be planning the trajectory of this team and right now the trajectory of this ulster team is one that's just slowly going down this hill and it's only getting faster every single week you know with every defeat the pressure mounts with every defeat you wonder you know Are Ulster even in contention to finish in the top two anymore? Are we actually talking about a potential situation where they're not even finishing in the top four which to me should be the bare minimum and realistically I think they should be competing for the top two so if they finish outside the top four they could still go on and win the URC but that demonstrates to me a really per regular season performance so look what's happening at Ulster right now isn't Dan McFarland's fault per se but it's more a collective thing I think he's got players who are underperforming for him but equally I think there are some coaching decisions that aren't going the right way but you know if somebody's going to cop the blame for this it's going to be him because you know it's it's a lot easier to look for a new coach than it is to look for an entire new squad
0: Do you think Johnny that Dan's been let down by coaching staff? Do you think it's time for like a new voice or?
2: No, I don't I don't think
1: it's, I don't think it's time for a new voice. I think whatever you're talking about being let down and I don't think, like I don't even think Ulster would appreciate this sort of language in the sense that, that they will be viewing it as a collective and all of them are in it mm-hmm. together. But like, I think you have to look at it that if you're talking about who's to blame, like it's the form of the players really. Because the players have set high standards over the last two years and they're not, they're not meeting them. Like the level of accuracy in what they're doing to me isn't a coaching issue because you're talking about players that have shown an ability to be able to do relatively basic things, not things that I can do, but relatively basic things <laughs> for rugby players of their level of ability.
2: I always love the qualifier that we're talking about how a team gets better whenever it's something that we could not do in any way, shape or form Well, ourselves. I have to, you
1: know I have to add that qualifier <laughs> <laughs> because, <Armchair laughs> experts, Yeah, always. exactly It's very easy for me to tell like Ireland internationals how to play rugby <laughs> <laughs> despite it being Catch
2: the ball A patently patin-
1: ridiculous notion But there's so many players in that team throughout this season that haven't hit the form that they have last season and Like, I don't get the sense that it's because, you know, they've just tuned down out or, you know, as you say, like, need a new voice. Like, I don't think that's it. I think there is a crisis of confidence in the team at the minute and this applies to, like, every level of rugby. Like, you you know, I used to see this when I was covering, like, qualifying one rugby. Like, when somebody makes a bad mistake and then somebody else makes a bad mistake that they don't normally make, these things are contagious because a loss of confidence ripples through a team and I think that's what's happened and you're seeing guys trying that little bit too hard. Like I understand that's not what fans want to hear because they don't want to hear that the actual issues, people are trying too hard rather than not trying hard enough but like I just think it's a confidence issue and it's a form issue, I don't see it as a coaching issue at the minute and I also think it I like I completely understand what Adam's saying, you know, you can't sack the squad. But I think there is a danger as well of being like I'm not saying this is what I'm saying. It's just there is a, a danger of saying, you know, there's some sort of figure out there that's gonna come in and everything's gonna go mm-hmm. right yeah. again and Ulster are gonna start winning silver mm-hmm. because what Ulster have done consistently through this spell of not winning silver is change the coach, change the coach, change the coach. But what doesn't change is the culture of not winning silverware. Like that's been the consistent thing since, by the way, they sacked the last guy that won silverware and what's he done since? Only won a couple of English titles and a couple of European cups. Like there is a danger of thinking that changing the coach is going to change an awful lot, especially when we know this isn't football where you can bring in five or six new starters a year if you want to overhaul your squad. Like, the guys that Ulster have are the guys that they have. There isn't, to my mind, some world-class coach out there that's going to come into Ulster.
2: Eddie Jones is available.
1: (laughs) But you know what I mean? (laughs) Because to a certain degree, we saw this the last time with Leskis, and it it has to be noted that Leskis got another year after he went through a run like this before he lost his job. And... I don't mean this to be disparaging towards Dan McFarlane but when everyone was calling for Les head, I don't think they thought that the profile of coaches they were going to get to come in was somebody who was assistant at Connaught assistant at Glasgow and assistant at Scotland. You know there was talk like oh you know we'll get rid of Les Jake White will come in everything will be different like that's not how it works those guys aren't out there and like I think, you know, you see the sort of esteem that Dan's probably held in outside of Ulster when you see things like the links to the Leicester job and, like, even look at Johan van Graan. Like, Johan van Graan, to my mind, probably did a worse job. I think that's fair to say at Munster than Dan did at Ulster. And he got the Bath job. Like, Bath, fair enough, weren't going well, but they're a massive club. Absolutely massive. And somebody he had quote-unquote failed in Ireland, got to that job. That's that's the landscape of replacing coaches, do you know what I mean?
0: Do you think as well, like put it this way, were you surprised at the end? Because I think what was even more um, disheartening was the fact that that penalty that Rhino-Smith got, it, like it went in off the post, so it was nearly like, you know, could it have, couldn't it have? But was it one of those situations where... Were you just like, oh, this is typical, or were you sort of... Do you remember before Christmas, Adam? I think you were the optimistic one, and Johnny, you're the pessimistic <laughs> one. Um, but you yeah, was... tell
2: that I've had two weeks off and I haven't actually had to work <laughs> <Yeah>. these games. <laughs> and um, I've had to pick up the slack.
1: <laughs> yeah, I might not be like two weeks off ever again.
0: <laughs> um, but yeah, was it something that you were surprised at, or were you just thinking, oh, hey, like were you nearly waiting, like, oh, no, something's going to mess up here because it's just typical Ulster psyche at the minute? Oh, to honestly? Honest, like,
2: yeah, yes. I'm, exactly ge- I'm genuinely nice,
1: surprised by everything that's happened in the last six Genuinely, like, surprised by everything that's happened in the last six weeks because, you know, we talked about this on the last podcast and I was like, oh, I think they'll beat Connett and then once they beat Connett, I think they'll beat Monster and if they've got two wins in a row going to Treviso I think they win that and it's like, this is what's made this so fascinating to watch. Like, again, I appreciate it. It's not fascinating to watch from, like, a fan's perspective because it's just miserable but, like, To watch it from the outside, to watch it from like a journalistic perspective, like Ulster are fascinating this year because there's so many moments where you're just like, if that goes right for them, then none of this happens. Like, you know, there's an alternative universe out there where (laughs) Ulster don't give away a stupid penalty in the 39th minute against Leinster, beat Leinster, and then none of this happens. Because that's genuinely what I believe. Like, I genuinely believe that this... They haven't become a bad team; they've just somehow been sapped of all of their confidence, and it goes back to that Leinster game and I think there's been so many moments throughout the course of this where it looks like they're building back into momentum and then just something stupid happens where they lose it again and you know it was that CUNY penalty on uh, Saturday, but like against monster it was a lie that. Crowley break and if that doesn't happen they win that game and in Connacht it was like off the back of the La Rochelle second half whenever they were winning comfortably against Connacht you were sort of thinking you know they haven't played brilliantly but they've dominated this game this could be them back and then because of what happens at the end and they almost end up relieved to win it's like all those same doubts come back in and like that's what I think has been so surprising and so Strange to watch, like it's strange to watch a group of individuals collectively lose form and lose confidence all
2: at once. But to play devil's advocate, this shouldn't be happening, you know. No, good, absolutely, good yeah. teams don't let this happen. Well, it,
1: and- like, I know, like, we always compare everything to Leinster, but Leinster, <laughs> a perfect example here, you know. Leinster weren't rocked by an early red card and going. 19 points down against Ulster they came back to win Leinster weren't rocked by being in a sticky position against an Ospreys team that was full of Welsh internationals and a couple of lions and came back to win but it's like it's so odd to me that Ulster you know we're talking about confidence it's so odd to me that we'll be like oh this is Ulster's psyche you know good teams don't allow this to happen to their psyche but we're still talking about guys you know there's a World Cup winner in that uh, dressing room there's Mm -hmm. A lion in that dressing room. There's a host two, of Irish... Ar- two lions Two room. sorry, I forgot about seven. There's a host of uh, Irish internationals in that dressing room. So it's like, this idea that there's a collective psyche to Ulster that doesn't apply when the players walk out of the stadium and into a different gym mm-hmm. room is really, really strange.
2: And the question for me is, when did this start? Like, I think you can probably put that Leinster second half behind you pretty easily because it's it's Leinster you know I, I understand that it's not ideal and that will have really hurt but that one I think you can put behind you is it the sale game that's just completely rocked them that's just made them go where did that come from and then the La Rochelle game has piled onto that but then you have the second half of the La Rochelle game where it looked like well you, you got hammered in the first half but at least you brought it back in the second half and looked like a, a semblance of a team that had something about them is it you know, is is it the fact that Connacht came so close to pulling the game back? Is it that Munster did pull the game back? Like, w- what is the point that actually sort of started this? Is this all, you know, conjoined? Like, is is this whole thing, like, collective? Or are we just having multiple moments from Ulster that are just building up and building up and building up? Like, for, for me, I, I would understand it if they were absolutely blown out of the water or something you know like like the sale game and then the the remainder of the games that we've had in this stretch have all been dismal but you did have that good second half against La Rochelle no, no matter how much La Rochelle took their foot off the gas you did have a good second half against La Rochelle connott wasn't great but they at least sort of professionally yeah. had that game under wraps for 75 minutes yeah. Difficult place to go as well. Difficult place to go as well. Benetton, they had a good comeback. Like, as, as much as it's bad that they lost, and they lost again in a similar fashion where they lost it late on, they actually showed quite a good bit of resilience to come back and take the lead in a game where, you know, you're 13 points down. It was 13 points that they were yeah. down, and you're struggling away from home, you're struggling in general. You come back to take the lead late on you know, that's a good comeback. And I think uh, it's it's all
1: those things that are making people sort of scratch their heads because, like, you can't really accuse them of a lack of character Mm. (laughs) if they come back from 13 points down on the road at a time when things are going terribly. Like, to me, the sale match in this is the outlier because that's not a game that had a turning point, if you like. That was just bad from start to finish. Mm -hmm. But, you know... Leinster, there were a couple of things that didn't go their way, and they ended up losing. We've mansion Con Monster, Teresa. Essentially out of this run of five losses out of six, they were all they could have lost all of those games, <laughs> <laughs> but they could have won four of them. Mm-hmm. They weren't gonna beat La Rochelle. Mm-mm. You know, the Larochelle La Rochelle game was more decisive in La Rochelle's favor than it looked. And the seal game was obviously as decisive as Mm -hmm. it looked. The scoreline could have been even worse. But, like, you know, they could have won those games. And I think that's, again, what makes it so strange because there's just these moments are going against them. And why does that happen? And that's, I think it's as confusing maybe (laughs) to... uh, you know, we've had Damon and say that, uh, you know, and players say that they're searching for answers. And I think it's almost as confusing, mm. or perhaps even
2: more confusing for them than it is for the rest of us. And here's the question if they had won four out of those six games, and let's say it's a, it's in a similar manner, only one of those things goes for them, you know, Crowley doesn't make that break and they just squeeze by Munster. Um, you hold on at the end there and they squeeze past Benetton. Are we looking at this as. Ulster are a team that are grinding out wins, and you know, we, you always use that old cliche championship teams find a way to win. Or are we looking at it in a sort of similar way to how we're looking at it now, only they're winning games as opposed to losing games? Like, how, how much different would the picture look if Ulster were actually winning games? Well, like the, the, Munster, the first
1: Munster game is a perfect example <laughs> that, where um, you know, Munster did come back into Ulster basically declared in terms of scoring points and just just about held Munster off. And then you've also got, you know, I would even think back to that Edinburgh game last year, which was a massive win, but like that win happened because of defence on the goal line and an Edinburgh player knocked on Mm -hmm. and Ulster praised for grinding out the result. Munster, a Munster player doesn't knock on. You know, that's the sort of margins that you're talking about, but I think you're right. Like I think championship winning, silverware winning teams win so much more of those moments than they lose and that's the thing that goes back with Ulster because good players playing badly is new and that's in this run and that's something that's different and that's something that we all think will change sooner rather than later because collectively this number of good rugby players haven't become bad rugby players but the stick that you could use to beat them with is those big moments so the big moments have gone against them over a six week spell but like against the Stormers against Toulouse against Gloucester against Leicester Leinster 2019 you know there is a more established pattern of those big moments going against them in big games Yeah
2: and Dan used the argument I think it was after the Munster game I think it was in this press conference between uh, Munster and Bannett and he said that you know our first five, six games of the season are very different to the run we're on now in terms of opposition. You look at the teams that Ulster played early on, take Leinster out of the equation, but you're looking at Scarlets, Connacht, uh, Munster at, at the time, you know, uh, they also had the Ospreys in there, you know, teams that are in the bottom half of the table. And he's saying, you know, well, you know, we're we're losing games now, yes, but we're losing them to better teams. I'd almost use that the other way around and say, now that you're playing the big teams we've actually discovered where this team potentially are you know i I think we're not getting a full representation of where Ulster are because I do think they are underperforming, and I do think that this team does have a lot more potential, but are we finding out that this Ulster team, whenever they come up against the big teams, just don't have a way to have swing those big moments in in their favour, you know, as much as sometimes a game does just hinge on a small moment that you don't have a massive amount of control over, you know, there there are ways and means to win games that don't leave you relying on a small moment to swing in your favour, so I wonder if over the last few weeks we've maybe discovered that this Ulster team just don't have that big moment character and that they have time to prove us wrong they have time to show that that's not the case and they will have bigger games coming up towards the end of the season or you hope that they will have bigger games coming up towards the end of the season where they can prove it but over the last six weeks I think consistently Ulster have proven that this is not a team at the moment that can influence a game enough to turn those big moments in their favor when they need them to
0: Looking towards the weekend and the La Shell game, which is obviously a big one because they're European champions, um, Rob Herring sort of like maybe echoed what, what you guys have been saying, and that he said we have to flip the switch. Um, he said, if you look at the last La Shell game, we let them get ahead in the first half. And in the second half, we won the scoreboard. So we have to take that and build on it. Um, because in that last match, Ulster led 29-28 with six minutes to go after looking well out of things. Um Unfortunately, again for Ulster fans, we've got like a big injury. Rob Ballacoon, um, is out at the minute and the province is sort of plagued with a few more injuries at the minute. Adam, do you want to give a few more details on that? Looking ahead to the weekend.
2: Well, oh, the big one is Marty Murr who appears, well, will be out for the rest of the season. And Sounds like he might, might be missing a bit of next season. Been a bit of next well. season too. So that's a huge loss. Like as good as Tom O'Toole is, at tight head that well, they don't made, have that, tell well there, true know. but like that that leaves a massive gap in your squad because Murr has been so consistently solid at the scrum he tackles everything that moves he's one of those guys that Dan McFarlane likes to have as the the sort of drop passer in the whenever he sets up pods for a back move so like that's a huge loss for Ulster someone who you depend on so much to be out for so long like that, you need someone to step up, and they had Jeff to who played on, uh, on Saturday who I thought was okay. I, I thought it, it he sort of drifted in and out of the game, but I thought I thought he was all right. I they, mean to go eighty, like, yeah, haven't been out for so long. It was impressive It's yeah. not a good
1: sign, obviously, when the and Twitter account is, uh, tweeting out Monday motivation with just clips of their scrum absolutely demolishing <laughs> Ulster.
2: <laughs> yeah, um. Balakun, we don't know if it's the same hamstring that he was out with before, Um, unless something was said at the press conference yesterday that I missed.
1: No, just that it was... Uh... Another hamstring injury obviously has yeah. had a good number of those over the last couple of years.
2: The, the frustrating thing for Balakun is just he hasn't had a consistent run this season because of his injuries. You know, he, He's been in and out of the squad. He hasn't had a chance to properly get a run of games under his belt and especially for a winger who relies on his pace so much you just need him to be in the team as much as possible and playing as many minutes mm-hmm. as possible. Like so
1: It sounded like whenever he was talking to you guys as well for that Munster press conference that... He was still feeling something in his hamstring. So, you know, yeah. he talked about the try against monsters as a good opportunity to stretch it out, which mm-hmm. sort of makes it sound like he's not getting or hadn't been doing too much of that in training. So he was obviously nursing something, you think, mm. going into that or coming into that. It's, it's the
2: same with Jacob Stockdale. You know, he hasn't had a consistent run of games. So we haven't seen the, the proper Jacob Stockdale. Like, he... he As a winger, you just need to get your hands on the ball. You need to get yourself in those game positions and you need to sort of be able... Like, you can run through as many simulations and training as as you want, but you need to be out on the pitch where you're reacting to an opposition player that... you don't know what they're going to do, and in training you can always sort of have that idea of this guy likes to step off his left foot, this guy likes to step off his right foot. But until you actually get into a game, you don't actually know what your opposition is going to do. You can, you're sort of reacting on the fly whenever you're playing in a game. That that just comes with getting a consistent run. And Ulster are in a position where they haven't had any wingers have a real consistent run. You know, Ethan mcelroy has been in and out. Rob Little's been in and out. As you said, Balakian and Stockdale have both been injured. Uh, you know, they they just need to find two guys who are going to be fit for for a consistent period of time, and I think you want that to be Balakun and Stockdale, but you just keep getting guys going down injured, and it's it's a real frustration. And then you have uh, Matty Ray going on the injured list as well, and he's sort of been out of the squad for a little bit, playing for the A's. Uh, and Sean Rafael, someone who who had an outstanding game against Munster off the ball you know, making 42 tackles, was it 39? I think it might have been revised to in the end, but like... 39, that's... 42 and 43, depending on yeah. which stat sheet you looked at. So, you know, it's uh, that that's, that's the kind of guy that you like having available purely because he fills a very specific role. He is a proper out and out, like Chris Henry style, open side flanker. And whenever you have that at your disposal, he's the kind of guy where you can sort of look at matchups and go, he would be perfect there. Because he's a he's a real jackal, he's a real tackle machine. You don't have to rely on him for carries quite so much, even even though they actually have used him to carry quite a lot. But you don't need to put the ball in his hands all that much. You need him to be the one who's being a pest to the other team. So he's he's going to be a bit of a loss, I think, as well, just purely because he's a guy that you like to have available, just to have that option. But you know, injuries are are part and parcel of the game. I wouldn't be looking at this as Ulster are uh, in a in a devastating position or anything. No, because you, like you, tight head is a bit of a
1: nightmare uh, yeah. because of all those reasons. Ei line from Marty Mur like, um, I suppose it's like a it's a bad week to be somebody that uh, a few months ago was saying why are they signing this Jeff Tumanga Allen? What sense does <laughs> this make? Sure, they have two two
2: international heads? I mean, it's 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 bad that they're without Murr like that's a huge who's
1: the other if you're talking about injuries like who's the other biggest player that they're missing like Will Addison who they haven't had for so long like in terms of injury profile they're actually tracking relatively well it's like I don't think any of this can really be put down to down
2: to injuries no not at all like Marty Murr is probably one of their what three most important players well yeah like Marty Murr is a huge loss and they are going to feel that but again I'm never, unless you're shorn short of 15 players and at least half of those are like your star players, I wouldn't be looking at injuries ever and saying, this is something we can use and say, you know, well, this is why we're, we're per, you've got a deep squad for a reason. You're supposed to be able to dip into it in times of uh, trouble like this. So uh, I would not be, uh, I would not be looking at that and saying, this is a reason for Ulster being in this position.
0: What are your predictions for the Lower Shell game? Especially because it is, it is away. It was technically sort of away last time as well. Um, Dublin, <laughs> but because Felt very
2: much away for me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what, what do you th-
0: are, you, are you sticking with the pessimism, Johnny, or what do you think for this weekend?
1: I think they're a bit hammered, to be honest.
0: <laughs> what do you think, Adam?
2: Yeah, it's, it's hard to disagree. You know, team short on confidence going up against a team full of confidence playing at home who have already beaten ulster in ireland i it would take a monumental performance from ulster to turn this around and to be look to be honest i think this is probably one of the games in this run uh, Look, you never write off a game completely but if ulster are beaten here i don't think this will add to the lack of confidence or anything because i don't think they would have been coming into this necessarily thinking that they had a divine right to win this game anyway
1: yeah, like I was having this conversation with Michael little like, you know, what would um what would have to happen for this to feel like it was adding fuel to the fire of the crisis? And what would what would be viewed as just the expected outcome? Like we we're probably expecting also to lose this game whenever they were playing well, you know? And if they you know, if they don't ship fifty, like Yeah. That's,
2: that's sort of like what you're talking about, isn't it? Yeah. That? And that's a really sad reflection on where Ulster are at the moment, that you're going into any game, be it against the defending European champions, be it against Benetton, be it against Zebra, and you're saying that a good outcome would be not shipping 50 points. But that's, sorry,
1: uh, good good uh, good, good outcomes, just, Sorry,
2: <laughs> I just mean in, in the context of the ongoing crisis, whether
1: you think it's a crisis of performance, a crisis of uh, confidence or a terminal crisis, mm-hmm. um... What wouldn't make things worse? Yeah. And, you know, I think if they, you know, if they get beat by, say, three scores, I think people might look at that and be like, well, given the way things were going, that's probably around what we expected. Personally, like, the opportunity to turn this around or the imperative to turn this around, if you like, comes with that Stormers game. Mm -hmm. Because they need to beat the Stormers for so many reasons. Because they need to be going into that break feeling better about themselves. Mm-hmm. I don't think if you were to offer anyone in Ulster two losses over the next two weeks and beat the Stormers, they'd take it. But I think if you're looking at it objectively and rationally in terms of what the uh goals, revised goals for this season need to be, because like I thought that they should have been finishing second in the league. Yeah. That now looks like a big ask. But this is sort of the position that they find themselves in last year where It looked like they were going for second and then you sort of round a bend in the season and all of a sudden it's like, geez, we actually need to focus on making sure we get into the playoffs. Like I know Mm. that sort of ERC stat predictor had them at 98% or (laughs) something. Um, I'm not sure it's absolutely as high as that. But, you know, you're now, and I was looking back at something I, I wrote before the Leinster game of how it was a pivotal game because you were either going to be three points or 13 points behind Leinster. So, you know, this was going to decide whether you had ambitions to finish top of the table or whether you had ambitions just Mm -hmm. to, you know, be the best of the rest. That feels like a different lifetime ago now because now it's like you need to beat the Stormers to stay in touch to the top two. But you're also sort of nervously looking down to fifth, which did not seem like something that was going, we're going to have this conversation like six weeks ago. But they've got Glasgow who are in attack playing pretty well. Like with Glasgow during the Six Nations, which is a good time to play at Glasgow because they're obviously going to be missing more players than Ulster. I don't even know how many Ulster players you think they're going to be missing for during the Six Nations. You know, it could be as few as like three. Yeah. I don't think that's an exaggeration. No. And then they go to the Sharks for that rearranged game. So they need to be feeling better about themselves come the Six Nations because if you get to the other side of the Six Nations, And everything's so stunted during the Six Nations that, you know, if you haven't righted the ship before the Six Nations, then you only have like three games, and it should have just been two. You know, you only have three games over those five Mm -hmm. weeks. So if you're like waiting until the end of the Six Nations, then all of a sudden you're like, you know, we're not talking about this is a good rugby team playing badly because we're talking about a team that hasn't performed at that stage since what, October?
2: Yeah, like, you know,
1: we could be in April then talking mm-hmm. about a team that hasn't played well since October.
2: Like we're realistically in a position here where Ulster could be going into the Six Nations on a run of eight defeats in nine games, which is horrific for any team. You have go- so
1: much more faith in the Stormers reserve team than I do, <laughs> or maybe well, I, maybe you haven't. Uh, maybe I'm just accepting that or not accepting maybe I'm just more confident that the Stormers are going to send a reserve team I mean you,
2: you know I, well it's, it's coming straight off the back of their Champions Cup games so um, maybe maybe not I mean look, it's, it sounds like they're going to target one or the other you know well yeah I know and look for me if, if you go into the Six Nations off the back of eight defeats in nine games whether or not that happens I think you're probably looking at a situation where you just have to have a clean reset going into the Six Nations. You just have to say to the guys, look, take your week off, completely clear your heads, we come back and we start again from scratch. Like there's, it, 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 it would I just get...
0: Didn't understand that.
2: You put your hand on your phone. Is that, <laughs> is that my phone? Oh, sorry.
0: <laughs> I was like, I, I didn't know what that was. Exterior? That was yeah. your laptop. I was
2: like, I didn't think that's me. Uh,
0: <laughs> sorry. You're okay. Set
2: the phone there. Um,
0: that's the phone start, listening, Duster. We getting loads of.
2: I'll start that again. If you go into the Six Nations off the back of eight defeats in nine games, I think you've just got to do a completely clean reset. You've got I actually, to go- like, I actually think they only hope for the season is that they get to the Six Nations regardless of what happens over the next
1: three weeks and reset. Like I think this block, unless they go out and win the next three games and get into the last 16, like this block's Mm. a write-off. And like when you think back to last season, when this block was whenever Ulster sort of took off, because remember they weren't playing well Mm -hmm. at the start of last season. They were winning games, but they weren't playing well. Mm -hmm. This block last season felt so pivotal to the development of this Ulster team. And now this block feels pivotal for all sorts of different reasons. It just Mm -hmm. feels like, uh, you know, whereas last season it was a launching pad, this season the wheels have come off. Yeah. And I think if they, you know, if they were to win the next three games, it probably wouldn't even be an eventuality that you would have taken at the start of the block in terms of outcome. Mm -hmm. Because bearing in mind, they were a relatively close second whenever this thing started. Like, I think regardless of what happens in the next three weeks assuming that you're not going to win all three games it just has to it has to be get back in and start again because yeah. there is an opportunity for that that Glasgow game in the middle of the Six Nations is going to be huge the Sharks game is going to very much depend on who Ulster have available and who the Sharks have available because there has been sort of talk of a Springbok mini camp that mm-hmm. might take the, those guys out which would be a real boost to to Ulster if not the uh, It'd be much needed TV companies um, yeah, it'd be funny if Ulster were actually missing less players or less internationals <laughs> during the Six Nations than a South African team. And then you have a winnable run of fixtures to finish. And I, like, yeah. I'm like i not using that term lightly because, you know...
2: It one, looks of the, like, one of them is the Bulls. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: I mean, it looks like they've struggled to beat most teams at the minute, the way that the, way that the yeah. confidence is. But you have a very winnable run of fixtures to yeah. end. So For- if you can right the ship just by saying, look... Forget what's happened, that's the worst run that any of you, or the vast majority of you, n- not the ones that were around uh, during Les and general, but the vast majority of you have had in your rugby careers.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Park it, flush it, do whatever you need to do, but we need, need to start fresh yeah. now. Otherwise, if everything keeps going, then, you, you know, if they play this way for the rest of the season... Then you are talking about what needs to change and
2: big changes. Mm-hmm. So, someone was actually joking at the press conference yesterday that this is probably the worst run Michael Lowry's ever been on in this entire career because if you go back to Inst, he was part of the team that was dominating yeah, everyone. One three cups yeah. in a row. Like if you talk, <laughs> you know, you talk about a crisis that Inst losing one game during that time was a crisis. But ev- everyone's throwing around the word crisis. I don't think Ulster in crisis yet. I think, I think it's, it's a crisis of confidence. I um, I would say confidence is very low. I wouldn't necessarily say crisis. I, I, th- I, th- I think cri- good players playing this badly for this long is a crisis of confidence. It
1: has to be a crisis of something, and I don't think it's a crisis of anything else. It's a crisis, so I'm saying it's a crisis of confidence. <laughs> it has to be
2: a crisis of something. Get um, uh, your journalism head on, Adam. The, Never waste a crisis. <laughs> the overall situation, I would not say, is a crisis yet. And the thing is... What does constitute a crisis? Like, how, bearing in mind that like Ulster have lost five games,
1: they lost eight games all of last season. Like a relative crisis for sure. Like it's not a crisis for Scarlets at the minute. This is, mm. You know, if they lose five out of six games, it's not a yeah. yeah. It bar- would barely be considered a crisis, at Conant, if they lost five out of six games. But if we're talking about a run of form that hasn't happened in five years, and whenever it happened, then was a crisis for d- for. Different reasons in terms of what had gone before. Like, what does constitute a crisis of results if not five out of six for a team as good as Ulster?
0: Six
2: out of six. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that Jack Hardy conversion uh, doing a lot of heavy lifting. Oh goodness, yeah. Like for all for all the talk of a crisis and whether or not it it, it is a crisis, Ul- Ulster can still turn this around and you know as you say they've got that run of winnable games all at home to finish the season and we keep going back to this we saw it with the Stormers last year you peak at the right time you go on to yeah. run the playoffs yeah. and you win like so you know for all the doom and desolation like right the t tames were in the final last year were stinking the place up but this time exactly. well.
1: they probably just about turned it around by now. yeah
2: but you know Ulster turned it around during the Six Nations they go on a run to finish the season. You go into the playoffs off the back of I mean, realistically, you could be going into the uh into the end of the season off a run of five wins and six in the league, which is essentially is exactly the opposite to what they're on right now. You could be going in riding a wave of confidence and all of a sudden you find yourself in the final. Yeah, like, you want that optimism. <laughs> Adam hasn't won in the like, league. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to be the optimistic one in this podcast, did I? Um But you you know what I mean, you know, like Ulster are, um, and I I go back to this, Ulster have not become a bad team overnight. Ulster are a good team who are going through a run of low confidence per results, and they do need something to change. I'm not saying that if they just continue on the same trajectory, things are suddenly going to right themselves. They do have to make changes in order to get back to winning ways. But they have been afforded, a good schedule to finish with that means that if they do find the solutions, there is a way for them to get on a run and reach potentially the final of the tournament. I mean, I, I think you'll then run into Leinster and then we all know how Ulster knockout games against Leinster go. I mean, statistically, but, law of averages, they're bound to lose one
1: game this season. <laughs> they haven't yet. <laughs> so...
2: so you know, th- there is the potential of them turning this around, but th- there have to be changes made, and look, whether it's personnel uh, in terms of, you know, changing the, the team around, not, uh, I don't mean signings, I mean, you know, like, just swapping in one player for another in, in the squad for, from week to week, or whether they do need to have, you know, a radical overhaul in terms of their uh their structures and how they're playing, like, they have to change something around, but My my problem with the structures is it's very
1: hard to gauge the structures because they're playing with such a lack of... Sorry, the attacking structures, anyway, because they're playing with such a lack of accuracy in attack. Well, the number of turnovers is shocking at the moment. Like, Like in defense, you know, you can look and say the sort of inside defense, there's an anomaly there in how often they're getting beat on the inside. mm. You know, so you can look at that and talk about that as a defensive structure. But for the attacking structure... And I suppose you also have to note that they are actually scoring more tries than last year, which feels like a complete anomaly, Like, but anyway. But it's very hard to judge those attacking structures if we're not seeing them played properly. Do you know what I mean?
2: Well, they're still too reliant on them all. Like, that's that's the problem. You, you're looking at those try numbers and saying, well, they're scoring more tries, but a shocking number of their tries still come from mauls so you can't really gauge what Ulster's attacking style is because so much of it is based on we maul over in the corner if we don't maul over then we try and pick and go off the back of the mall. like it's, would you say Ulster necessarily have a defined attacking structure that you have seen consistently throughout the season
1: no this season not so much yeah. but like i go, you know i go back to those Northampton games and the monster the monster game and it's there, but I think... But, you, but know,
2: you, you, you can't you can't say that for this season. No, you can't. You can't look can't. at this run and go, oh, well, we saw their attacking structures 12 months ago.
1: No, sorry, I, like, I get that. I just think it's very hard to judge attacking structures. And whenever we're talking about attacking structures, this is basically code for, is the problem the attack coach? Really, isn't it? Like, let's be honest. Let's not beat around the bush. And I think it's very hard to judge an attack coach on the back of a back line where only one player is really in the form that he was in last season, and that's Gerard McCluskey. Mm-hmm. You know, when you've got a 10 that's out of form, like Billy Burns is a bit of a lightning rod, but like, there's a reason that Dan McFarland thinks he has the best rugby brain in the squad, right? Whether you're a Billy Burns fan or not a Billy Burns fan, he's not playing as well as he played last year, right? So. That's a challenge for any back line. James Hume was amazing last year. One of the foreign players in Ireland last year. He's not really got back to those heights from his injury. You mentioned the wingers in the back three there. You know, there's been injuries. Um, you know, Mike Lowry was on the long list for European Player of the Year. Off the back of the way, he was playing this time last year. Um hasn't hit this same much, So I just think it's very hard to judge. And I think it's always very easy to point to coaches or assistant coaches because, like, basically if you're saying that they've regressed an attack, then you're saying that you missed Dwayne Peel. And whenever Dwayne Peel was here, people were sort of, you know, people, there was an element of the fan base that didn't like Dwayne Peel when he was here either. So it's the danger of being an assistant coach, I think, that, um And especially whenever things are sort of siloed up and it's like, right, you're responsible for attack, you're responsible for defence, whatever, whatever, whatever. But like, to me, so much of this just comes down to form and confidence and how Ulster are devoid of both at the minute. And it's players, you know, like I asked Don McFarland, had he lost confidence? You know, we're talking about players losing confidence. Have the coaches lost confidence? And, you know, he sort of looked at me strangely. It's like, I've not actually thought about that. You know, it's like, It's a different thing for coaches, I think. Um, Because there's so much less variance in what they're doing week to week and their performance levels week to week. But, you know, you're talking about is this a crisis, is it not a crisis? And that's semantics, really. Like me saying this is a crisis of some kind and you saying it's not. It's semantics because what's a crisis to one man isn't what's a crisis to another? But the issue that we can't get away from is the longer this goes on, the more curious it becomes. Like, fans are frustrated, fans are raging, I get that. But to look at it from the outside, the word to describe it is curious. Because this is odd. Like, what's happening to this team at the minute is odd. And it's odd that it's lasted this long. And the longer that it lasts, the odder it gets.
0: I think that's a good ponderous philosophical way to end there, Johnny. Thanks. <laughs> um, just in terms of, like, actual rugby news, like, Johnny, you sort of aforementioned it earlier. Um, also, are going back to South Africa at the end of February February 25th for their URC reschedule six, uh, round 6 clash they'll not be an
1: ice cube in sight <laughs> if
0: anyone remembers um, whenever we first started the podcast we couldn't pronounce gastroenteritis which is what they had back in October which is why the game was rescheduled uh, enter- see they
1: talk about getting better every day <laughs> yeah. that's it
0: I've really <laughs> phonetically spelled <laughs> it out in the laptop here
1: tangible signs of progress
0: <laughs> yep. um, so fighting he, for every inch <laughs> Remember, you can catch up with all the rugby news, views, and analysis on BelfastTelegraph.co.uk, and of course in the newspaper. And we will be back here next Tuesday, hope, hopefully with some optimistic but optimistic but potentially disastrous news <laughs> after the Irish game. Uh, so, thanks for listening. Happy New Year again!